in the, the real world, anybody who comes up and looks at your art and connects to it, I think is a success. That's mm -hmm. for me. And yeah. we can connect over the color pink. We can connect over a funky looking eyeball. Like you can connect over anything. So I say take, it's important that you can think critically, obviously, but you don't have to apply it to every single thing that you make. Hi friends, you're listening to Art and Magic, a podcast where we connect all things practical, magical, and really real when it comes to walking the artist's path. I'm your host, Devin Walls, painter, mentor, and dreamer. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get into today's episode. Hi everyone. Today I have a really refreshing conversation about the realities of being a working artist and making art your career. And this is a favorite topic. I know it's a favorite topic of mine. I think it's a favorite topic of you guys. Um, and I something I'm really appreciating is that the people I've been having on the show and particularly with today's interview are people who are really honest and people who are really looking at what's available for artists to make this their living um, with a discerning eye. And today our guest is Marissa Avila Saylor, and she definitely brings that gift to the show. So I actually know Marissa because her and I were in a group show together locally here in Southern California at the beginning of the year. Um, the show was called Grounded in Modern Abstraction. And her and I actually did not get a chance to meet at the opening for that show, but I got to see her work in person and I really resonated with the pieces. They were some of my favorites in the show and that really drew me to her and to want to connect with her and get to know her better. So this was kind of exciting. So in addition to talking about like how to manage time constraints and multiple jobs and what it's really like to work your way into making your money from selling your work, we also talk a lot about unlearning art school. So Marissa has earned her BFA, her MFA, and she's returned as a teaching professor uh, throughout her career. And as such, she has a lot of really rich and interesting perspectives on this whole art education system. There's a lot of great food for thought in what Marissa has had to teach herself, what she's had to let go of, how she's had to evaluate who she is as an artist, all things that had to happen on her own um, and with the shedding of much of what she took on during art school. And so I think that if you're somebody who's in school right now or you've recently graduated and you're sorting through all this yourself, you're going to find a lot of inspiration in what she shares. And if you're self-taught, I always think it's just interesting to hear what this experience is like since I haven't had it. And I think there's a lot to be learned from people who have had it and who have gone through it. And then I think there's also some validation in that, you know, we're not all so different. We're all struggling with the same things and asking ourselves the same questions. So I really enjoyed getting to have this on the show. So both fortunately and unfortunately, after we ended the recording, Marissa and I had some really interesting conversation around like career statistics for artists and success rates and more about the realities of becoming a working artist. And I want to share tidbits from that conversation with you all. You know, we also got into some great email correspondence and she shared some wonderful articles with me. And I'm going to dive into that in the outro of the episode because I think 
with the context of what her and I talked about, it will flow a little better and make more sense. So please do stick around for the outro. I don't usually do that, but I think you'll enjoy it this time. Okay, before we get further into the conversation, I do have a couple show announcements and logistics to go over with you all. The first thing is, keep your ear out next week because I'm going to be announcing a brand new workshop series and I'm really excited about it. I haven't been teaching as much this year as I have in past years and that's just because I've honestly been very busy, but I've been working hard on this and I'm really excited to share it with you all. So whatever you need to do, subscribe to the show, get on my newsletter list, make sure the Instagram algorithm doesn't pass you by. Uh, I think you're really gonna dig it if you're a developing artist. And then the second thing, as always, please leave a review for the show. I so appreciate all of your comments and messages on Instagram. They make me feel so good. But also what really makes a difference for the show is when you go hit the five stars and leave a review. Um, For those of you who have come on and left new reviews, that's so appreciated. I celebrate every time. I always say that because it's true. Um, And also, please do share and follow us on Instagram. We are at Art and Magic Podcast if you want to see what I'm up to. Um, I've been preparing for a solo show, or I guess it will be out by the time this is out. Uh, If you want to follow along with that, I am at Devin Walls Art. Okay, so if you don't already know her, Marissa Avila Saylor is a Los Angeles native who works in drawing, painting, and sculpture using both traditional and experimental media. She earned a BFA from Atlanta College of Art in 2005 and an MFA from California State University Fullerton in 2009. An artist since childhood, Marissa has always supported her art practice with more traditional career paths, namely education. Since 2018, Marissa has focused solely on her studio practice with occasional guest teaching, workshops, and visiting artist lectures. She's exhibited in numerous Los Angeles galleries, institutions such as Torrance Art Museum and Museum of Latin American Art in Long Beach, and her work is in private collections all over the world. Outside of the studio, Marissa and her spouse of 16 years are guiding their two exceptional young children in the art of being explorers of this universe. So without further ado, I present to you this amazing conversation with Marissa. All right, Marissa, I'm so happy to be here with you. Thanks for coming on and doing this. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Okay, so just to start us off, could you give us an overview, just like of your art career story and trajectory, maybe from art school to becoming full-time? Sure. Um, I think I was one of those kids who knew they had to be an artist because there was like no other place in the world for me that would accept me, that would be like, yes, be yourself, do your thing, and we love you for it. (laughs) So I I kind of always knew that's what I was going to do. And along with that came, you know, the reality that uh, our society does not compensate artists in a way that you can make a living off of it. So I always had contingency plans. Um, So despite going to art school, uh, I knew I was always going to have to do something else to support that and to get kind of off the ground. So after art school, um, I worked for a little bit in education and went back to school for uh, my MFA because I knew that I could always teach with an MFA and education is kind of my second thing. You know, art was number one and then teaching, learning, exploring, all of those things were like number two. Um, So I figured if, if this is not a reliable thing, then I'll just, I'll be an educator. So that's what I did. Um, 
I got my master's. I taught drawing and painting for a little bit. And I was <laughs> lucky to finish my MFA right in 2008, 2009, when there was this Ugh. huge recession. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I, I ended up in education, but in a different um, field. I was in uh, medical education and wound up doing all of the like curricular stuff, assessment, all of those very technical parts um, of the field. Uh, so I used that to help build my foundation to be an artist. So I worked this job that, you know, kind of scratched that itch in my brain of being able to do um, more big picture kind of things in society, like teaching and things like that. Um, I, I used that to, to help buy a house that I could have a studio in to set myself up for these things that I knew were going to be very difficult to do without capital. Um, so that's what I did. And that's what I did for a long time. Um, and it's, it was about a decade that I was out of school before I was able to truly focus full time on my work. And um, part of that was because I had kids also. That will definitely add some years to it. So that's, um, that's what I did. And that's kind of where I'm at now is that my kids are a little bit older and I have been able to take this history of teaching and all of that and wrap it up into what I'm doing now. Mm. So that's where I'm now. Yeah. I love what you said about like, you need capital to be an artist. It's Absolutely. like something I think we don't want to look at, but like supplies cost money, time costs money, studios cost money. Um, and so I just like that you highlighted that. Are, are you still teaching? Um, I'm, I've taken a break right now. Okay. I, I've done small workshops and things like that. Um, I just seeing that, um, people are not able to attend school right now. Right. <laughs> I've got my kids at home. And so we're homeschooling. Actually, I'm teaching just teaching four and six-year-old. Yes. Different kind of schooling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, okay. So when you were building and you're teaching and you're working in the, um, like medical education, I'm wondering if you could give us an overview of how you were able to get your work out there, like how you started getting the ball rolling. Um, maybe it's like assimilating collectors, like what's been your method for, for building that side? Um, yeah, I think every, every contact you make um, to hold it dear <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and see exactly what kind of great connection you can make with like-minded people. I feel like the, um, the kind of people that you can have conversations like this with are kind of rare because people don't always pursue art to the degree that I have or that you have. Um, and so when you find those people, I've sort of just kept those connections going. So I have people who have bought my art for the last 10 years that I still talk mm. to, they become friends. Um, and I just did what I was capable of at that point in time, which is really just networking. It's it's really hard to have a very solid studio practice when you are working 60 hours a week, um, commuting. It was, I had a job that was not conducive to being an artist at all. So you really just had to kind of rely on those little support systems to keep your spirits up as well. And even if you weren't making very great art, which I wasn't, I went through some times where I was like, wow, I made nothing I'm proud of, but <laughs> I'm proud that I made it. Yeah. And to have people around that you can kind of bounce off of and they say, yeah, I'm proud you made it too. It's cool. You'll get through it. Those were really what sustained me, I think. And just, um, yeah, refusing to let the ball stop really mm. in every way I needed to do it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were talking about this actually over Instagram, this idea of like the successful artists are the last ones kind of standing <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can face the test of time. Totally. And, and it's, do you have the endurance like physically to, to mm. work a full-time job and try to get your second career up and running? Cause that's what every artist I know has had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you've got some wealthy benefactor paying all of your bills, which I don't know anyone like that. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's like the physical endurance, the mental endurance, because art is a lot of failure, which I think is valuable, but it can take a hit. You know, your psyche can mm. really um, And um, just a little bit of an ego to say, I think what I make is important enough to continue to keep making it. Um, so yeah, it is, it is like a game of how much can I withstand to get to my end goal, which is to be able to make as much as art, as much art as I want and to make whatever I want. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of sacrifice, uh, but I don't know. I'm willing to make those sacrifices. Yeah. 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 So in terms of while you're like working full time and you're networking and you're trying to have a studio practice, what, cause I know so many people are in that situation. Um, and many of us are still in our own version of that situation. And to some degree, like I think for myself, just the ratio changes, like there's always an element of work to be done kind of no matter totally. where you are on the full-time part-time scale. Yes. Um, so what advice do you have for people who are struggling to upkeep a studio practice? That's something I hear a lot from the mm-hmm. artists that I talk to and work with. So um, when I fully got back into my practice, my, my daughter was one and my son was three and I had zero time, like zero studio time. <laughs> um, they, they both have special needs. They're both autistic. And so we just had a full schedule of just getting them through the day. And that's when I realized, okay, if I can make work through this, I can make work through anything. And you have to take mm. the attitude of, anything worth doing is worth doing really bad. If all I got done one day was a terrible scribble on a piece of paper, that's okay. Tomorrow, I'll, maybe I'll make a better one. But the point is getting that scribble out. Um, so that's what I would say is, it sounds bad, but like lower your standards. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound bad. I love that actually. <laughs> be, be prepared to make work that you think looks bad that is not your ideal vision that maybe isn't even your ideal um materials you know i love ceramic sculpture but there's just no way i can have like greenware around my kids who are tornadoes like everything would get smashed (laughs) and so to avoid that i started looking for materials i could use around them that was not only durable but they could use also Um, so I stumbled upon this air dry clay that has just revolutionized my whole sculpture practice and has really like fed my hunger for that sort of thing. And I never would have come upon that without lowering my standards to saying, look, why don't you try something else that isn't so revered, that isn't so obsessed over and maybe you can't use oil paint right now because you can't have turpentine or you just don't have the time to sit there and do it. Um, try something else. Try watercolor. You never know what your current self is going to find from it. Um, so that's that's what helped me through it was saying, look, you're either going to make something or you're not. Yeah. So maybe just make something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've also, um, I've often talked about how sometimes our limitations, even though they suck, 
um, might be like guiding us in a direction like that, um, like ceramic material that you stumbled across or like maybe acrylic painting. Um, Yeah, even if we have this like ideal in our mind, it's like when we embrace those restrictions that we might be kind of wedged into something that's unique because of our circumstance, which is a thing in and of itself. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, and you said, you know, there's always going to be a time when you're going to have to work. Um, mm-hmm. and, and for me, I agree. There's the flip side of that is you're never going to have a hundred percent of the time in the studio that you want. Um, yes. that's just part of living. That's part of being human that has to like eat and sleep and do other things. Um, so that's okay. Make what you have work. Um, however you need to do it. That's, that's my motto anyway. That's, that's what kept my ball rolling. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. I want to, um, talk a little bit more about the business side of things. I imagine in this trajectory of working lots of different jobs and figuring out like how to do this art thing and sell your work. Um, you mentioned networking. I'm wondering if there were like any other pivotal points from your like career journey that are worth mentioning or that feel like something you wish you would have known. I'm, I think I'm always curious about like, how are artists making this work? Like, how are they going out there and they're getting money for their work? Right. Um, for me, it actually, I felt so kind of, I've, I've been doing this for a long time. You know, I, I, mm. I finished art school in 2004. So I've been wanting to be an artist for a long time and, and doing the practice. And I think, um, you do feel a little bit lost when you see all of the opportunities you could possibly be taking and not knowing which ones to take. And I've, I've did things by process of elimination and going, okay, here's all these opportunities. Where am I going to find the ones that work the best for me that I'm going to find the people that will kind of, that I'll click with and that we'll be on the same wavelength. And so I just started thinking about all the parts of the art world that I didn't like. And so the things I did not like, were spending money on a submission for something that you may or may not even get into. You don't even know really the process of who's picking what. And I really started observing a lot of things. I noticed that there'd be magazines that would put out calls for entries, but then the person who was curating it would end up putting people in their gallery in that magazine. So I'm like, oh, this is not for me this is not for me, this is a different thing. Mm -hmm. So once I could kind of parse those things out, take out what felt yucky, that felt yucky to me, (laughs) and go towards what didn't feel yucky, which was there were nonprofit galleries here in LA, those felt great to me. The the vibe of them felt way better. Um, I found uh, someone else reached out to me from just kind of a less traditional gallery, and it was more boutique but their view on art very much matched mine. So I just kind of threw out all of the things that didn't work for me, even if people were suggesting that that's a place to start. So I don't know if that's helpful for other people, but I have to do the process of elimination. Otherwise I want to entertain every single idea and then you just don't know where to go from there. Um, so yeah. that's, that's kind of how I made those connections and then just pursued them and, and, kept up with it and kept those relationships going. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that you hit on something that's been hard for me to identify, um, but I think is a widespread experience among artists where you're like, I really want to do this art thing. I love making. And then you get out there and you're like, 
elements of what's available to me feel weird. And I don't know if it's just because I'm scared and I have imposter syndrome or if there's truly something here that doesn't align with me. And I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there. We're like, yeah, there are things out in the system that were not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's, I think it's hard when you're a beginner to be able to identify that because you're like, well, there's so much I don't know there, right. you know, um, am and I, I th- just scared? Yeah. yeah. And I think you need that voice telling you that there truly are no rules out there. So what you think maybe that you're just too new to understand, uh, no, I'm going to validate that and say, you're not too new to understand it. If it looks yucky and it sounds yucky to you, it probably is. And there's a lot of, you know, not helpful standards that kind of float around the art world right now, like a 50% commission. Mm. That's not sustainable for an artist. It's just not. Um, so that feels yucky to me. So I'm, generally not going to chase those kinds of opportunities because I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, yeah, I think it's hard to sort through your feelings as to why do I feel this way about this? Um, and, but yeah, the longer you're in it, the longer you do it, you'll know why. Like you'll go, oh, well, this is why. It just doesn't make any sense or it's not logical or it's just not humane. Um, yeah. 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 And I do think you're right. It does, sometimes you do have to kind of go there and go into the experience to understand why that didn't feel like a great match. And usually your initial feeling will be confirmed, but sometimes it is just like you said, that process of elimination and, and going on the journey and engaging with it to really get it. Totally. And I've spent a lot of money uh, submitting to art shows, and mm-hmm. magazines and publications and getting rejected from them and going, oh, that okay, they're not looking for me. They're not looking for my kind of artwork. Um, this is very clear. So yeah, you kind of have to gather that data yourself. Um, and, mm-hmm. and the hard part is every single person's journey is going to be very different. So yeah, it's hard to say if one opportunity is wrong for me, that it might not be right for you. Who's to say that? Right. Uh, so yeah. Well, I was going to ask a question, but maybe it's a more open-ended answer <laughs> in the sense of ha- having gone through that process yourself. Like what would you advise people who, you know, want their work to be seen and want to sell their work, um, if you are submitting for things or looking for places to show, um, mm-hmm. what do you look for? Like, what are your standards that might be helpful for people? Mm-hmm. I, I actually am a big fan of other artists run opportunities. Mm-hmm. So anytime an artist, uh, there's, there's lots of like online, um, opportunities where your work can be showcased and a small percentage is taken and it's, usually run by artists. Um, I, I'm okay with those sorts of things because I think we're all trying to make it work. There's no gatekeeping with that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think we're all on the same team when it comes to something like that. So I do like those opportunities. Um, if you're in a larger city like LA that has nonprofit galleries, um, look at those two because all of any, any commission they make off of your work and selling it is going to go right back into the gallery to bring more people like you into it. Um, so I, I tend to look for those opportunities as well. But another thing I would say is, is to kind of seize your own control over it and look around and see where you think your audience might be. For me, I, I love Instagram because it's great for artists to connect. Um, and I can throw my work out there completely unfettered by other people's contexts. Um, I can present it completely the way I want to present it. Um, and for me, that's a huge bit of freedom 
to, to find those opportunities as well. Because I can just show who I am, what I make, and I've gotten, made lots of contacts that way. People contact me um, just by putting it out there. Uh, so I would say, you know, however you can most sincerely put your work out there to represent yourself, do that. That's like the biggest step you can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, make the opportunities for yourself, I guess, to show yeah. your work. Yeah, I get a lot of people who, um, and I so relate to this too, where it's like, what's the secret to like getting people to buy your work? And oftentimes my answer is like, well, you know, put it out there over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, like, we don't like that answer. They're like, no, isn't there someone you can tell me about who can like hook me up? Or like, isn't there a place you go that I just don't know about yet? And oftentimes the answer is like, no, I'm really sorry. There's not. Right. It's exactly <laughs> what you're seeing. <laughs> you have to like stumble your way through it yeah. um, and get up and brush yourself off, off every time. And, and that's kind of the journey of it. Like, I don't see an end point really. I just see a, you know, constant evolution of where my work is going and who's going to see it and who I can connect with over it. Mm. Um, and I think that honestly has been the best thing for sales is to not even focus on that on the work itself. It's crazy how that happens. Totally. Yeah. I also have noticed that for myself, like the more and more I get into this, I think learning Instagram and learning your basis and all that is very important, but then there's this other level I've really noticed too. I'm like, actually the growth really does come from the work. Um, As much as I'm an advocate for being business-minded and all that, but like, that's also really the truth is that's like the big attractor. You need both. Like you need one and the other. And with business, I think there are points that, that are kind of universal and there are things you can look at, people you can talk to, things you can study. But with your own artwork, I mean, you can talk to everyone, try everything, but truly it's going to come out of you and what you make and the work that you put into it. So yeah, it's really hard to make those two work together because they're so opposite. (laughs) They're Mm -hmm. so like, that's why this is such a hard career to to kind of stick with is it takes these totally opposite, polar opposite traits in people and and you're forced to make them work together Mm -hmm. without having some kind of breakdown (laughs) of self. Literally. Yeah, that's so true. And also to, you know, it's just kind of ironic because I think business is um, typically thought of as like the customer and customer relations and exposure and all this. And then I think in the studio, it's really like your truth and uh, it's not super efficient. Like you were saying, like failure is very important. Like this is the not the way you would approach making a typical quote unquote product. And that's because art's not a product. Right. <laughs> so they yeah. are very contradictory. Yeah. And, and it's not efficient it's not cost efficient like Mm -hmm. all of the time you spend in the studio you are in and then you sell a painting like you're working for pennies but it's not that you know it's it's the whole point of wanting to put creative art out there and and getting better at it so that eventually okay it isn't so inefficient I actually am pretty efficient at it now it just took how many years of stumbling through it to get to this point um, so yeah, it's, yeah, it's a terrible business model. <laughs> it's terrible. terrible. And then like also the best. It's so, you know, yeah, exactly. contradictions. <laughs> a special kind of person to be like, yes, this is how I want to live my life. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So that I actually wanted to dive um, a little bit more into this when you mentioned it earlier, this conversation around failure. Mm-hmm. And it is a really hard thing when you make a lot of like shitty work for months or years. Um, but I imagine, and, and I know a little bit from my own experience that you kind of just get used to that. And so it gets mm-hmm. easier, but for people who are just really in that and like 
I mean, you know how it goes, like your self-esteem, your questioning, like it's very challenging. Have you found anything that's more or less helpful for you in those phases? Yeah. And I think it's, maybe you need a healthy dose of like dissociating yourself from your work sometimes. Um, I, I think as artists, we're trained to, or if we've trained ourselves or we've gone through any kind of training, we've, we've made ourselves make work and then be able to talk a lot about it or to find meaning in it or to attach it to something that um, is important in the world today or whatever. And I think that it doesn't have to be that. So the, the most important thing can be I just want to make something because it looks cool. I just want to make something because it makes me happy to look at that color pink and I'm just going to paint this whole thing pink because it makes me happy. That's okay. I think those are the moments that you can build. And like I said, lower your expectations. Um, make, make your goal for yourself to just put something out in the world. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, you will fail. It's okay. Everyone does. Um, I have a million things laying around the studio that are just like, wow, that didn't work out, but you'll learn from it. And I think that's the most important part is, you know, make a bad painting, make a bad sculpture, and then just step back and be like, man, what went wrong with that? Instead of feeling bad about it, you know, take the pressure off of yourself. It's okay. Everyone makes bad stuff, but really step back and assess it see what did work, what didn't work, and then don't be afraid to just try it again. Um, I think that's, it takes that healthy bit of like being okay with failing. I think you, that might be the first step is like, just be okay with the fact that you're gonna make marks that look terrible and that's fine. Everyone does that. I love what you said about it's okay to just make something because it looks cool. Because I think we get so tripped up on that, right? Like we want something meaningful. It is connected. Um, if you've been to art school or you've, or you've just gone deeper with your work in general, you know, you want to connect it and, and like bring this content, but that can get so stifling. And I think what can move us forward and out of a rut is like, this just looks cool pink. And that's totally fine. <laughs> Yes. And I mean, and I've been through so much school and so much critique that like, you're supposed to be able to find meaning in like a hair that's stuck to the wall, you know, <laughs> like yeah. you're supposed to be able to critique things to that point. And it is stifling. And you know what? I just like rainbows. Okay. And I'm going to paint them all day because they make me happy and they make other people happy. And that's all you need. Like there's, mm. there's no art police who's going to come and be like, whoa, whoa, this is not deep enough for art. Not allowed. No one's going to do that. Maybe some jerk on the internet is going to do it, but who are they? You can mm. just, like, delete, bye. Um, because in the, the real world, anybody who comes up and looks at your art and connects to it, I think is a success. That's mm -hmm. for me. And yeah. we can connect over the color pink. We can connect over a funky looking eyeball. Like, you can connect over anything. So I say take, it's important that you can think critically, obviously but you don't have to apply it to every single thing that you make ever. Mm. Just make whatever you want. Yeah. Yes. That's so important to be said. I'm wondering, um, was there like a reconciling of that for you? Like after art school? Cause it seems now like you're far into the journey. You've gotten to the point where you're like, I'm owning this. This mm. is how I make things. This is where I fit. This is who my work is for. And I really like that about you. But I'm wondering if that was like a journey to get through after going through such an art education. 
totally. I had to reject everything that I'd learned and then go back and pick out what worked for me and what didn't. Um, I think through art school, I mean, obviously I love the experience and I would never discourage anybody who has the means and the desire to do it. But I think I did more unlearning than I did learning. Um, I remember painting something and being really proud of it. And one of my professors came up and every single person has a story like this. One of my professors came up and she said, well, it's okay. One is good, but 10 is not. Cause I had like repeated some things and that stuck in my head for so long that, okay, well, one cool element in your painting is good, but don't repeat it too much because people who are educated will tell you this, that you're not doing it right. And that really stuck with me because if you're learning to be an artist in the context of art school or in the context of academia, it really is very stifled. I, as much as I wanted to think that I had freedom, ultimately you are working for a grade from a faculty member and you're appealing to them and the standards that are put forth by the accrediting body and all of those things. So you are truly not doing what you want to do. You are chasing a grade, which is fine. I did it for years. Um, but I think ultimately I had to be able to erase all of that and say, it doesn't matter what a faculty member told me 15 years ago. If you want to do a hundred eyeballs, you really should because if you get hit by a bus tomorrow and you sat there and didn't do a hundred eyeballs when you really wanted to, what's the point? Why are you here? I know it's a morbid way of looking at things, but man, like we're all gonna die. So mm. letting these voices like, dictate what we're making and why we're making and I think it was like a period of this all this trauma in my life that had happened and literally that's what it came down to I, I had experienced a lot of loss in a short period of time and I was like look I could die tomorrow and never created the things I wanted to make just because I had other people's voices in my head mm. telling me this is what I ought to do but they don't know me they don't know me at all mm. <laughs> so it was like a kind of a chip on my shoulder type of situation where I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do what I want. And that's when I feel like I totally came into my own, honestly. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about, so like with that perspective in mind, and I'm, I'm playing a little bit of devil's advocate here because I think this is just such an interesting <clears throat> conversation and something that I really wrestle with. So with this in mind of like, we should make what we want. And like, if we, we want to make a rainbow, we all know I do, certainly right. do that um, because we want to, like we should and this, and we have this craving, I think for our work to have depth and meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it doesn't need to be the depth and meaning that meets some sort of like highbrow academic standard, but we, we also have that craving. And so I'm wondering if you've, um, like how you've reconciled that or if there's some sort of like advice you have around that. I know that can be such a messy process, but I'm, I'm curious about the reconciliation of those two sides yeah I mean I think like I said before assess what you make like step back and assess and I'm constantly doing that assessing you know what in my work makes me happy what result makes me happy what result doesn't make me happy um and I always liked it when I shared my work and somebody said oh wow it made me think of this or it gave me this feeling and so I always took that feedback And usually these people had got hit it right on the head of like what I was thinking spiritually or mentally or whatever as I was making it. Um, But I don't make it a necessary requirement in order to enjoy my work. Um, But I will give clues and hints and things like that for 
people to maybe get insight on some of the things that I'm touching on, because that is important to me, because I want to appeal to a broad range, a broad range of sen sensibilities, I guess. I like people to look at my work and just go, oh, wow, that's exciting, and I can escape into it for a minute. That's, that's great, and that's just on the surface. You know, if they want to look a little bit further and read a little bit more into it, they'll see that there are symbols, but you don't necessarily have to understand those symbols in order to get what I'm saying. And I think I just had to figure out what's more important, me telling a story, me saying something, or me just putting bright, colorful things out there, or do I need to try to make them work together? And I'm someone who needed them to work together. Like I need it to work on several levels for me to feel satisfied about it. And I even, I mean, I do a lot of research in the background and there are people who pick up on it and they go, oh wow, you're looking at sea slugs, aren't you? And I'll go, yes, I've been looking at them all day. <laughs> and so, you know, there's several different levels of connection, I think, that I am trying to create in my work that may or may not be evident to some people and that's fine, like I'm okay with that. It sounds like to me what you're saying is like identifying what matters to you. So it's like, we all want meaning, um, but but what matters within that to us versus like some external um, restrictive standard? And that yeah. sounds kind of like the answer there. Yeah, and you had actually mentioned it in one of your podcasts a while ago where you're talking about your personal journey and you'd said, find out what it is that you're about. Mm. You know, take time to find out what it is that you're about. Sounds very broad and general, but it's true. What is meaningful to you? What do you want to put out into the world? What kind of connections do you want to make? What's important to you and what's not? Uh, it's not important to me that I use like art jargon language. That part is not important to me. So I just generally don't use it. Um, so I threw that out. You know, this is what me finding out what I'm about. I want my work to be accessible to, you know, maybe people who don't have an art education. I don't want things to, seem exclusive or divisive. So that's a decision that I made. And I guess every little decision you make like that will just help clarify what direction you're going to go in. Mm -hmm. So yeah, don't be afraid to make those tiny little judgments because they're going to inform your big ones. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, I'm thinking about your experience of unlearning from art school mm -hmm. and as somebody who's, so you, you've then gone back and you've worked in these institutions. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So then as somebody like coming in and teaching, um, how have you navigated that? Like, I'm, I actually haven't talked to somebody yet who's, who's been like a professor. Um, do you bring your own modalities? Do you feel restricted by what you're supposed to teach? What has that been like? Well, here's how I've done it. I've gotten around it and I will go in and do a guest lecture on whatever topic and we'll do whatever which is great because when you are a faculty member and you have your own class, I mean, you have to stick to your syllabus, you have all these standards you've got to stick to. The freedom is very small. But when I'm going in independently, the freedom is much larger. So, I mean, on, honestly, yes, I've gone back and done it, but I'm trying to do it as little as possible because I do have a lot of gripes about, you know, making artwork for a grade. Um, so I, when I can, I try to make it as free as possible. When I taught drawing, I tried to give as many interpretations as possible. Um, but it's still difficult because you're still under these, like, these parameters that you don't really have control over. Mm. Um, so yeah, that is, that's one of those things that I do when I need to do, but I try to avoid it. Mm. <laughs> I see oh, one of those things. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I have to pay the bills, so. Yes. But yeah, 
Mm. Um, I know that's not terribly helpful. It, it is, that's a cognitive dissonance right there of like, just. No, it is helpful. I think it's helpful in that it's real, right? <laughs> like it's the true story of what's happening. Um, and what it might, it, it's also given me, you know, as somebody who did not go to art school, but has ideas about <laughs> what might be going on there. Um, <laughs> It's also just giving me food for thought of like, there could also be professors that possibly you learned from who maybe had similar feelings and where, I mean, I don't know, but this could be the experience of lots of professors in that system. Like maybe this um, system is not just imposed on artists, but the people who are uh, like regurgitating it, which is just kind of interesting. Oh, totally. Yeah. The whole academic field is like, (laughs) it's like a machine, you know, like you go through the school, you learn everything and then you come back and teach there. Mm. And, And the next student, students go through there and it sounds depressing (laughs) and sometimes I think it might be um and some people have to break from it and other people are able to work within it and it's just who you are I'm too much of a freedom seeker to to want to work in that for very long I can do it and I like talking about art and and trying to make my own make it exciting for people in my own way but ultimately that takes a lot of energy and it's just how much energy do I have for that you know I would rather maybe just have a class full of people and we're like, hey, let's mess up all day. Let's just make big messes. Mm. You know, that's where I see some value, but you can't always sell that to the department chair. <laughs> so right. it's, yeah, it's, it's your own personal, like how can you fit through it? Um, so it's going to be different for everyone, but yeah, figuring out what you want to do and what you don't want to do is, is pretty big part of that. Yeah. Yeah. So an, kind of an interesting jump off from that is if you could go in and teach without these restrictions, like what would Marissa's having gone through the unlearning, like what changes would you implement and how would you teach differently if you could? Oh, I would kind of undo everything. (laughs) I think, I think the best way to learn is to just have everything at your disposal and be encouraged to just mess up and, and to have, um, this is why I like sculpture so much is there's very different feels. I think just from being someone who went through school, sitting around a group of people who primarily paint and talk about painting to me is different than people who sculpt and talk to, talk about sculpting. Maybe there's not a whole lot of crossover in those fields. I don't know. But for me, sculpture is so much about material and trying and messing up and the like failure and hurting yourself and all of these things. It's very real and tangible. And then painting is much more cerebral. Um, I think we put a lot of the cerebral stuff ahead we put it ahead of what we ought to be learning, which is just getting our hands and things and feeling what feels good, I think. Um, that's how I would do it. I know there are probably more cerebral artists, but I'm, I'm different. So, you know, the Marissa Art School would be, we're going to spend a year just touching everything we can, learning from people who are making art right now and selling it right now and just helping people determine what path it is they even want to take because there are so many um and you aren't presented with all of them in school now and you're not presented with business acumen and courses like that um it's just a very different experience so i guess i would just make it a little more wild (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's really interesting about the difference between sculpture and painting i feel very drawn to sculpture but don't know anything about it although i do sense that trying it will be somewhere in my future um and i hadn't made that connection about like painting being taught more cerebrally do you think that's just inherent because of like the 3d nature of sculpture or is there like a different history there no i think it's inherent i think um 
like with, with painting, there's truly only so many materials. Um, I seek so many, like I paint on drafting film and I love like using colored vinyls and stuff like that. Um, but that's not generally the case with, with people who follow painting that I've noticed. It is very much a like, I'm trying to perfect this or I'm just trying to experiment through color, but there's still a certain amount of control that you have. It's still two dimensional. It's still right there in your field of view. Where I think with sculpture is there's so much more room for failure. You're you're fighting gravity. Like that's the first thing you're doing is fighting gravity. So I, I think it's just a different, I love them both and it's just different corners of your mind that are at work with that sculpture. I can think about it all day and I can build stuff in my head all day. Like mm. that's what I'm gonna do so that when I get my hands on stuff, I'm like, yes, this is inside out and right side and I'm just ready to go. Um, with painting, it's very different. Like I just take a deep breath and I stop and then I just go, you know, I don't really think about it during the day unless I have a huge idea or something. So for me, they serve very different um, purposes, but I do see that it's repeated kind of out in society, the way that painting is talked about and presented versus sculpture. Mm. Um, that could just be my own, my own projection there. <laughs> no, that's super interesting and makes me want to try sculpture. Um, but I, <laughs> but I'm, I'm also thinking on that, um, might be a, a slight tangent, but is it, do you find it's more difficult to sell your sculptures? Like, I'm wondering if there is some sort of like, uh, like business decision at play or like practicality decision at play because painting is more traditional. Like what's your experience with that then? Okay. So that's why I majored in painting in, in art school. I originally loved sculpture and I did that in, um, high school, I had AP studio art, I took metal shop, wood shop, all of those classes. And then I realized to, to keep a sculpture practice, I would have needed so much more room, so much more money for materials. Um, and yeah, the people who buy that work need more room and need the ability to, to display it. I have been able to sell smaller sculptures. So I think traditionally that might be the reason um, why it is seen that way. I do sell lots of big paintings way more than I saw big sculptures. Um, so yeah, there's a total practicality thing there. And there was for me in studying it because I knew I could always roll up a canvas and store it. You can't roll up a giant head sculpture or whatever it is you wanna make. So yeah, I mean, you're gonna have to work those practical decisions in as well and, and just go with it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Do you have, this is, also, we're just we're just going down the tangent road and going all over the place. Let's just go. As Yay. as these conversations tend to go. Um, but also just like another business question. Um, as somebody who's worked their way into being like a mostly full-time artist, how have you connected with higher end collectors going the routes that you've gone? I think that's a huge question. Like if you want to sell bigger paintings, you need somebody with deeper pockets. It's like just the reality. But as I think you and I have a lot of similar values around galleries that take 50% and things mm -hmm. that feel yucky. So um, how, do you have like tips there? What's worked? What's been hard? And I show at galleries that take 50%, <laughs> but I, I don't do all my work through there. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a specific portion of my work that I will, that I know I'm probably going to lose money on through that because I don't want to make the prices so high that they're out of reach mm -hmm. of the people who want my work. Then you're just going to end up with all of these paintings that never sold. Um, so, you know, you, you do have to suck it up because as much as I am not a fan of capitalism, we live in it and that's what mm. we're going to, you have to, or you're just going to starve on the street. Um, 
unfortunately. So yeah, I accept it. And someone is going to take half of my $2,000 painting and it's going to bum me out. But that profit that I made, I can put into my own practice so that I can sell independently. And I've done that as well. Um, people have found me through Instagram or just previous collectors who have made, you know, a great connection with them. They've become friends. They will see my work as I'm working on it. And they'll be like, Hey, are you selling this? And you know, mm -hmm. you have this great, you don't have to get it into a gallery at that point. You've got your audience right there connecting with you directly. And to me, that's, that's very helpful. So you're going to have to do a little bit of everything. I mean, I guess the goal is to not to do as little of the yucky stuff as possible. Um, but it's, I mean, that's just how it functions now. Luckily, so many artists, I think, are trying to transcend that. They're trying to get out of the whole gatekeeping thing, unfortunately, because a lot of mid-tier galleries have just closed. I yeah. mean, the opportunities aren't there. So we're having to make our own, which on one hand is like, oh, good, more work for me. <laughs> but on the other hand, it's very uh, liberating because mm. you can you can make your own decisions. You have to, so you're going to. Um, mm. And yeah, I think that's kind of the upside of all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying all of that. I just have to say personally that connecting with other artists like you who have these values and who are thinking this way and talking this way feels very inspiring to me. So I'm Thank really you. grateful that you're operating in this way and, and coming on talking about it with us. That's amazing. <laughs> it's good. I think it's generally like people are, I don't want to say afraid, but hesitant to bite mm. the hand that feeds them because yeah. that's what it is. But ultimately it's like, hold on. I think I'm feeding you here. <laughs> you know, Maybe you don't want to bite my hand. Yeah. I mean, and it's not to say that relationships are all antagonistic like that because they're not. I mean, mm. I, I have gallery owners who've worked very hard for me and we have a great relationship and we reserve our time for each other. Um, but I'm going to take as much of my time as possible. And I'm going to tell everyone that it's okay to do that because otherwise nothing's going to change. Um, you have to be willing to be kind of unpopular, I guess. And hello, I'm happy to do it. Oh <laughs> uh, man. Yeah. I don't <laughs> think that you are very unpopular, but I like that you're assuming the role regardless of what happens. I'll take it. <laughs> um, okay. So what's coming up next for you? I know we're in crazy times and you're homeschooling and you got all the things happening. Um, but what are you thinking about next? Anything you'd like to share or even just like what you're working on? Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I, I am at the point where it has, I have to be okay with setting a lot of things aside um, and just making sure my kids are happy and healthy and, and we're all happy and healthy. So I did move into a new studio recently. And so now that it's all set up, my next thing is to just rebuild this next body of work that I've sort of been stewing for the last, you know, eight months. Um, I've definitely been producing, but I'm feeling a lot of um, ideas happening that are all interconnected and have to do with um, our lives today and how we all connect with each other. And a lot of it has to do with frogs. So <laughs> more frogs are coming. <laughs> Love that. That's wonderful. Yeah. And beyond that, that's, that's my life right now. Cool. Yeah. Great. Well, we are going to keep an eye out for your frogs. I can't wait to see this. Um, and thank you so much again for coming on the show. This has been a really awesome um, and inspiring conversation for me. So I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. 
I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. I was really energized for the whole day after that conversation. And I think that's because I really appreciate Marissa's honesty and realness. Um, You know, you guys know that's what I'm about. And so I love when our guests are about that as well. So as I mentioned in the intro to this episode, Marissa and I had some great conversation after the recording. One of the main things we talked about and that she shared with me was that actually a staggeringly low number of art degree holders become working artists. In fact, out of like the whole pool of all working artists, and that includes like writers and magicians and filmmakers and all that, only 16% actually have a degree in art at all. Um, she shared some really interesting reports and articles with me that get into even more detailed breakdowns, and I've linked all that up in the show notes for you. Also in the show notes, you'll find within those articles, there's a lot of discussion around the success rate of artists, um, you know, the cost of school versus what artists end up making, average income rates. Um, it's all there for you, and I, I read every single thing she sent me, and it was fascinating. On the one hand, you know, I don't want this to be seen as depressing because I I acknowledge that there's a lens where you could be looking at it that way. But for me, the reason that this was like um, felt good to hear and talk about was that it was really validating, validating for a couple of reasons. One is that I think that we're all probably doing a lot better than we think we are when we look at statistics and realities and success rates. So you might be thinking, when you're looking out on Instagram that all these people are full-time and super successful and have their giant studios, um, but that's really not the full picture of what's really happening for artists. And so one, it's validating in that you're probably doing better than you think you are. And also I think it highlights too that if you've been working really hard at your art career and things are slow and things are challenging and you're working another job, it's probably not you. It's also because of the way our current system is set up. And I think that helps us to not see ourselves as a failure, but see the system as a failure. In fact, in one of the articles she sent me, this writer was saying, we need to stop trying to win the game and start trying to change the game. And that really hit me. I think when we have a sense of the full picture of what's available to and happening for artists across all mediums everywhere, we're better equipped to make informed decisions. Those decisions might include like factoring in a side job for a little bit longer. It might include taking things into your own hands and selling on Instagram and representing yourself. There's so many different avenues that we can go and so much that we can do with this information that I don't think it needs to be stifling. I think it can very much propel us in a direction that's going to be more helpful for us personally. I want to read you all something that Marissa said to me over our email correspondence, because I think it ties this all in very nicely. And this is what she said. I think the most glaring thing I've noticed over the years is that we hold certain things to legitimize us as artists, art degrees, gallery representation, not having a supplementary job, etc. But actually, they seem to be some of the biggest factors in holding us back. Art degrees bankrupt many people and break creative spirits. Galleries can take incredible advantage of an artist, and it's very common. Lack of a supplementary job means you'll take even fewer risks with your art out of lack of funds or fear of lost sales. 
It's a really broken system. I don't know that there's a singular answer to it, but rather a network of changes that need to be made by artists themselves, because we are the ones most invested in it for the sake of it. That definitely says it all perfectly. Thank you, Marissa, for that additional nugget of wisdom. So with that in mind, I feel very excited about kind of the mission that we have in front of us here as artists during this time, during the 21st century, during 2020. You know, maybe we're not only here to make a statement with the work we create, but maybe we're also here to be advocates for creative living in general and and saying that like we need to make this sustainable because art matters and there is no art without artists, a very common but true saying. So that being said, you owe it to all of us, the entire art community, to wield your endurance, as Marissa kind of mentioned at the beginning of this episode. Okay, thank you for sticking around for that if you did. I love you guys very much. I'm very happy that you're all here engaging with these conversations. That wraps it up for today's episode. I will be back next Wednesday. But until then, I'm sending you lots of love and tons of magic.